Uh, reading is 1 Corinthians 12, 31 13, to, through 13, 13. But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. If I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The word of the Lord. All right, I'm going to turn on my, my stopwatch, because today is a special service. I don't think I mentioned that yet for the folks at home, in case you don't know. We will have our normal service of worship, and following that service, once we're all done with that, we'll move into a congregational meeting. So I'm keeping an eye on the clock. Um, that was the fifth time that we've heard that passage, 1 Corinthians 13. To start 2021, we're looking at this one chapter of the Bible for six straight weeks. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Why? Why this chapter? Well, 2020 and moving now into 2021 has been a hard, it's been a confusing, it's been a difficult time. In 1 Corinthians 13, it gives us the way forward for very difficult times, for confusing times, for divisive and confusing and difficult times and relationships. Love, it says, is the way forward. Love is what Christianity says we must have. That if we don't have it, then everything we do is nothing. Verses 1 through 3. So we looked at that to kick off this series. We might say at this time in our own lives, and we might say looking around in the culture, what we need is more knowledge. We need more knowledge. We need to get more insight. Or we just need to speak that knowledge persuasively. We need to speak the truth powerfully. No, we need to give sacrificially. No, we need to serve sacrificially. No, we need some kind of miraculous work. Paul goes through each one of those things in verses 1 through 3 and says, if you have any of those things, if you have all of those things without love, none of it can heal or change anything for the better. He says love is the way. After describing what love is, if you look at the text, uh, verse 4, he says, love is patient and kind. Those are the two things he begins with. 
We talked about them, the dynamic duo of love, patience, and kindness. And then right after that, Paul tells us seven things that love is not. When you want to clearly define something, you, you paint a picture of what it is. And then if you want to be really clear, you paint a picture of what it is not. So these seven things are like the photo negative of what love is. But we can throw up the slide there, live stream crew of verses 4 and 5 in chapter 13. You look at these five things, and I want to encourage you to have, have the text open there. These first five things, envy, boasting, arrogance, rudeness, and self-seeking, that love is not, they all have to do with our relationship to self. The relationship we have to ourselves. And the last two have to do with our relationship to other people. So here's the principle I want to talk about this morning that I see here that I want to show you and hope to show you. And that is this, to change our relationships with other people, God must first change our relationship to self or to grow in loving others well. Relationships outward, God must first deal with our relationship to self or our relationship inward. What Paul is saying here is that Christianity is a whole new way of relating to self. So here's how we're going to approach this text. First, we're going to talk about where love is not. Where love is not in this diseased relationship to self. And then when love is not, what are the symptoms of this disease and the signs in our relationships? And then lastly, we'll talk about how does love, this love that Paul describes, get in to where it is not. What is the cure for a diseased relationship with self? So first, where love is not. Last week, we talked about how love and truth are necessary companions. They always go together. They always party together. We talked about that last week. Here in verse 6, it's the opposite. Whenever these five things are around, love is not there. It actually cannot be there. So love is never a companion with envy or boasting or arrogance or rudeness or self-seeking. Just want you to look at those, consider those for a moment. What do they all have in common? They are all diseases and distortions of our relationship to ourself. And we could spend a long time on each one of these, but I think what we can see, these four things, especially these first four, what they have in common, and then we can see their root cause, the source of them all. So we're going to look at these five things. Important to know, about these first five things. These are five things that in this letter, 1 Corinthians, Paul has already addressed. He actually has already said, Corinthians, you have these things going on in your own lives, in yourselves. And it's showing up in your relationships. And so Paul is pulling together here all the diseases he sees at work in their relationships and he's getting down into the root of their division and their conflict and their issues. And he's saying, in essence, you haven't allowed the gospel to change your relationship to yourself and you won't love the way that you are called to love until you see this. So let's look briefly at each of these. First, envy. Let's talk about envy. Envy is really all about self-obsession, if you think about it. It's when we can't rejoice or acknowledge the achievements or the gifts or the good that others do or have. Because when we look at another person's good or success, we don't see them. We're actually seeing ourselves and what we lack 
what we want that we don't have. That's what envy is. And when we're obsessed with ourself, we can't love other people. So we end up thinking about when others succeed, we ask, am I a success like that? When somebody gets a good grade on a test, we go, is my grade better or worse than theirs? When someone shares something good that has happened, we think, why is my life not that good? Why is my life boring? This happens all the time uh, when we're scrolling, social media, whatever platform we might use. We end up thinking, how come I'm not in Hawaii right now like them? How come my family is not smiling like that and looking like theirs? How come I'm such a terrible dad or mom because my kid's not doing this thing that I'm seeing their kid doing? When am I going to write a book? What's wrong with me? We end up turning everything back onto ourselves. And there's even such a thing as pastor envy. That's my confession. We look, well, look at our YouTube. Why do we have 121 describers or subscribers and they have this many views. What about us? What about me? So instead of joy on the good that is being done or the good that is being received by the other person, we are self-obsessed over what we don't have. And in chapter 3, verse 3, Paul said, this is happening in you, Corinthians. Now let's talk about boasting. Boasting is what? It's all about self-promotion, right? It's being preoccupied with thinking, okay, what's happening here? Am I being recognized? Am I being applauded in this situation? Do I have the attention? And the focus is on our own status. And when we're trying so hard to be seen and noticed by other people, the point Paul is making is love is not there. We cannot love them. The needs and the voice and the feelings of others will be pushed aside because we're always thinking, yeah, but what about me? If you have not seen it, the best illustration that exists that I know of of this, you just have to Google Brian Reagan, me monster. If you have not seen Brian Reagan describe the me monster, go look it up. Do it later. It's estimated, here's my illustration, I don't know how they estimate this stuff, that there are 93 million selfies taken every day on Android devices. So let's just roughly kind of multiply that by two for iPhones, and that means there are 180 million selfies taken every day. Now, we could say, yeah, look at the evils of technology and cell phones, but probably cell phones and selfies are not the cause of our boasting, they are just the proof and the evidence and the platform for our boasting. When we take the selfie, put it out there, what are we saying? We're saying, am I being noticed? Am I being seen? Paul talked about boasting in chapter one, three, four, and five and said, Corinthians, this is why you're having such a hard time in loving. You're focused on self-promotion. What about arrogance? Arrogance is related to boasting. It's about self-inflation. <laughs> Another way to translate it is love is not puffed up. Whenever we have a higher view of ourselves, then other people really love them. Our help and our actions for them will really be controlling and patronizing and self-serving like the Pharisee's heart who was praying before God and said, God, thank you so much that I'm not like that guy over there. Arrogance is really good about pointing out wrong and fault and problems in other people. Really good at that. But we can only love someone when we stop looking down on them. We can only love them when we say, I am level here 
with you. Where you are, what you need, how you struggle, we can say, me too. In chapter 4, verse 6, and 8, verse 1, Paul says, you're puffed up. Even what you know, the good things you know are puffing you up. Knowledge puffs up, he says, love builds up, and this is why you're having such a hard time with love. Fourthly, rudeness. What is rudeness? As I was thinking about this, I thought, well, I think rudeness is really all about self-absorption. Think about it. Uh, the word is hard to translate here. It has to do with acting in a way that is dishonoring or disrespecting to others. So this is when we want to get our point across. We want to get our need met. We want to be validated ourselves for what we think and feel. But we do it in a way without any regard for how it's being received on the other end. Whatever. Receive it how you want. I need to say this. I need to do this. This is for me. It's all about self-absorption. We're just focused so much on our frustration, our hurts, our opinions, and our needs, which all may be legitimate, but with no regard for how the other person will receive it. That's rudeness. See, I don't care about your honor or respect. And we can't love others when we're absorbed in only our own needs or frustrations. Paul's point is, you can't love others when you're self-absorbed. All right, so these all have to do with relationships, our relationship to self. Self-obsession, self-promotion, self-inflation, self-absorption. Let me see if I could illustrate this all together. We could have a message or a sermon on each of those, but here's a way to think about what they all have in common. It's, it's like this. So... Um, when you go to the grocery store and you are starving, you're so hungry, you are hangry, you go into the grocery store, you have a list of four things, but you come back with like 40 things because you see everything and you're like, I need that. I want that. That is so good. I'm going to open all this up when I get home and feast on all of it. You lose sight of what you need and you end up in your hunger grabbing everything. Here's the point of this illustration. When you relate to people out of an empty self, a starving self, you end up seeing everybody else as ways to meet that hunger, to fill up your empty self. When we're envious, we, we just, we're hungry to be and to have enough. When we're boasting, we're hungry to be seen, to be significant. When we're arrogant, we hunger to be important. When we're rude, we hunger to be validated. All good things. But when we look at other people as the way to meet those needs, without regard to them, we cannot love. Only when these hungers are met can we relate to people from a place of fullness, recognizing their needs, while not fully casting our needs aside. The fifth thing in the list, I think Paul says here's the source of it all when he gives us this fifth thing. He says love is not self-seeking, also a hard phrase to translate. Literally, it says love does not seek its own or love does not seek its own things. This here is at the core of what the Bible calls sin. We think of sin, we think of the outward actions. But this is the source where it all starts from, where those actions come from. It is this, to insist on our own way, to seek our own things. 
It's when we say, God, I want my own things. I want what I earn. I want what I achieve. I want what I need. And I don't want to depend on you. I don't want to need you. Why? Because if I do, then I have to answer to you. I don't want to answer to you or anything or anyone else. If it's not our own things, then we have to answer to God for what we do with it. What's his and why he has given it to us. Now here's what's important when it comes to love. It's not wrong, we need to know, to seek things for ourselves. It's not wrong to love ourselves. The Bible doesn't say that. It's not wrong to want to be enough, to be satisfied, to be seen, to be recognized, to be valued, to be important, to be validated. But it is the essence of sin to seek these things as our own. Seeking these things for ourselves as our own, as an end in themselves and not as a means to the end of loving God and loving others. So Paul said this earlier to the Corinthians in chapter 10. He said, no one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Just as I try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, there's the key word, but the benefit of many so that they may be saved. Imitate me, he said, as I also imitate Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 24, 33, and 11, 1. He says, if Jesus sought his own good and benefit alone, he would be the only one in heaven. He would be the only one in the new creation. That's who we are to imitate. There is an old uh, marriage joke. I just re recently heard it, but the person telling it said, this is an old joke, and it goes like this. There was a woman who had been married 40 years, and she was asked, what's the secret to your marriage? You guys have been together so long. And she said, oh, that's easy. We're both in love with the same person. Nobody's laughing. <laughs> we say, well, wouldn't life be easy if everyone loved me like I love me? That would be perfect. Jonathan Edwards, the old theologian who wrote um, a great book on this text, he said, here's how we need to think about what's gone wrong. Originally, we were created by God to seek our own good, to seek God and the good of others. And God made us with these enlarged souls, enlarged souls that could fit it all. But what happened with sin and the fall what happened when we moved away from God is that our self shrank, as it were, he says, into a little space, circumscribed and closely shut up within itself to the exclusion of all other things. This is an image of hell, to be shut up within ourselves to the exclusion of all other things, to have our own things. In a culture like ours that says, find yourself, be true to yourself. Express yourself. Seek your own dreams. Seek your own identity. Seek your own purpose as your own. We need to consider how this might be the source of the shrinking of our souls and the diseases of unfulfillment, of loneliness, of anxiety. Where love is not. Paul says, love is not 
anywhere where the soul seeks its own things. Let's look at the next point. When love is not. When this is happening in us, how do we tell? How do we know when our relationship with ourself is diseased and off? Because rarely do we fully acknowledge and see our envy, our boasting, our arrogance, and our rudeness. I've been a pastor for 15 years plus, 18 years, somewhere in there, and I rarely hear people say, can you help me with my rudeness? Can you help me with my arrogance? Because we don't see it. So the best way is not to go, let me just look inside and see if I can identify it. The best way, Paul tells us, to see if these things are working in our hearts is look at our relationships. That's where the symptoms show. And that's where the last two things in the list come in. These two things are not about self, but about others. And when our relationship to self pushes out love, here's what happens, Paul says. Here are the symptoms. Love is not irritable. And love does not keep a record of wrongs. We'll just let that helicopter kind of breeze on by. Let that soak in a little bit. That's verse 5. Irritability and resentment. These are the symptoms. So let's do a symptom check. Irritability. It's been called the launching pad for anger. The irritability inside of us. One author said, it's like when your insides are coiled, ready to spring at the first sign of something that upsets you. So maybe you can ask, when are you irritable? When do you snap and when you're short, when are you quick to be angry and offended? Paul's saying it means less about the other people, your irritability, and more about your relationship to yourself. So do a symptom check. How is your irritability? The second of the two things is our resentment or keeping record of wrongs this is keeping score when inside we're saying i'm doing so much what's going on with you what i've done for you we have this invisible scorecard where we keep check check what i've done check what i've done minus what you're not doing minus what you are not doing paul says this is a symptom of the diseased self But we can have this scorecard with our friends, our family, our spouses, our children, our parents, co-workers, even at church. And we often just keep it inside. We have these check marks. Check, check, check for me. Mine is for you. And what happens often is it comes out in a flood all at once and does so much damage. This is especially true when we, in a relationship, feel like we're doing so much good for another person, for another cause or a community. We're going out of our way and we don't get recognized. We get rudeness back. We don't get seen as important or valued for it. And so we resent and we hold this resentment against other people. What Paul is saying is that resentment is less about other people. It's more about yourself and your relationship to self. Lewis Smedes, we have a slide for this, for those at home. He said this, I want you to hear this. He said about resentment. We cannot feel gratitude for life when we feel cheated out of the life we are trying to earn. We cannot feel gratitude for life as a gift when we feel cheated out of the life we are trying to earn. And for some of you, this is exactly how you feel right now with God. 
You have resentment toward God. You can't feel gratitude for the life you've been given because you feel cheated out of the life you've been trying to earn. These seven things, Paul says, this is what love is not. And I have a sign for this. I've been sharing a sign for each one of these uh, messages, a street sign for the way of love. Today's sign, I'll get to that in a moment, but first I have a quick story. It's about when I first came to California and I was learning to drive on California freeways, which were very different than Florida freeways. And I remember I came to the first time when I was uh, at one of those stoplights on a freeway, which first was like, why are there stoplights on an on-ramp to get on the freeway? That is craziness. So I got to one, and it was one where there were two cars side by side, and the green light turns on at the exact same time, right? You know some of those on-ramps. So I was like, what do I do? Because one of us is going to have to yield to the other. And in that particular instance, I'm like, I'm going first. So I went first, and the other person honked at me. I still remember this. I'm still mad at them and resent them. I'm like, one of us had to go first. What's the deal? Is there some rule I don't know? <laughs> That's the picture of the sign I want you to have in your mind for this. It's the yield sign. Yield. To love as we are called to love. Seeking the good and the interests of the other above the interests of ourselves with no expectation of return means we will have to do a lot of yielding. Love is yielding the needs and interests of self to the needs and the interests of the other. So, how do we do that? You're probably like me. You're the one who says, I'll go first. Somebody's got to do it. You yield, not me. How does love get into where it isn't? The pull of the self to seek our own things is powerful. The Bible says this is the innate uh, pull of the soul into sin. Who can let go of the need to be satisfied for what we have, for who we are? to be affirmed, to be seen, to be validated. Who can let go of the demand for our own things? Who can let go just enough to genuinely love others without expecting or requiring anything in return from them? What has the power to do that? To deal with all of our envy, our boasting, our arrogance, our rudeness, our self-seeking. To heal our bitterness and sweep away our resentment. Here's the question. How does love get into the heart where it is not? There's only one thing that's powerful enough, and it's love. What is the cure for a self-centered heart? The Bible says it's God's love for us in Christ. Only when we receive that love can our self, our relationship to self, be cured in all of its diseases. And only love has the power to get love into us. Christianity says this. This is the claim of the Christian faith. If the God of the universe fills my life and promises to meet my needs, if the God of the universe notices me and sees me, if he affirms me and validates me, if I can be secure in his love, then I don't need to demand those needs to be met in other people. I am full. I have a full self. I'm not starving. So I can love other people. Christianity is vastly different than the way of irreligion. 
Irreligion says, no, I don't need all that. Um, the message we need is we need to love myself more. Love yourself more. Follow your heart. You do you. The message of religion on the other side says, no, you need to stop loving yourself so much. Do the right thing. Be a good person. Follow the rules. Neither of those are the cure. Why? Because both still say that yourself is your own. The irreligious pool says, my life is my own. I don't know anybody. I do what I want. I answer to no one. Religion says, if I'm good, if I meet the standard, if I do the right things, my life is my own and God, you owe me the life I want. But the gospel says, Jesus, who loved you into being, he gave himself for you in love despite your self-seeking heart. So your life is not your own. Your salvation, yourself, your things are not your own. As the song, the hymn, the great hymn says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. It's this love that says, I don't have any of my own things. They're all mine by grace. I didn't earn them. I don't deserve them. But the love of Christ tells me they're mine because Jesus loves me. The gospel then is a power for the whole new relationship to self. It is a power to love as we have been loved. Two final thoughts before we close. First is, did you ever notice the Apostle Paul's prayers? Have you ever looked at these? That he never prays for people's irritations and frustrations to go away. He never says, God, take all the difficult people out of their lives so they can get on with life and make it easier. No, over and over again, Paul says, here's what I'm going to pray for you. Here's what you need. If you just believe, if you just know the love of God that he has for you in Christ. Ephesians 3, Philippians 1, Colossians 1, over and over again. The reasoning, Paul says, is if God loves us and if we believe it, then our souls become enlarged again. And if God loves us and wants to enlarge us in order to make us loving like him, how might he go about that? If he wants us to be less envious and arrogant and boastful and rude and self-seeking, right, consider this, then he probably wouldn't take away all the irritants and the frustrations, but he would put us in places where sometimes our boasting and arrogant heart is brought low. Sometimes we see the impact of our rudeness on other people. Sometimes, and we can't get away from the fact that we want the life that other people had and have. The problem, the point is, God might show us through our circumstances, if he loves us, that the point isn't other people or your circumstances. It is you learning to be loved where you are and to love where you are. One final thought. In a moment here, in a few moments, in our congregational meeting, we are going to install and appoint our diaconate. And deacons have quite a, a high calling, a very intimidating calling to come into a situation in a community and say, I am not here to be served, but to serve and give myself for others. And it is true that those who are called to serve 
and may be expected to serve, can experience or susceptible to the temptation of bitterness and resentment when that service is not acknowledged or received the way we want. So here's my message for all of you who will be our first diaconate. What we need most from you is this. Keep rooted in the love that God has for you in Jesus. Stay there. Come back there over and over again. That's what we need most from you. Let's pray. Father, 1 Corinthians 13. It is beautiful to us. It is compelling to us. But it's so challenging to us when we see ourselves in this list. And I pray today that if you have pricked the heart, if you've convicted, if you've challenged, if you've humbled, I pray that you would sweep in to that conviction with the grace for repentance, to turn our hearts to you and to be blasted with the good news once again that we are loved, even in our failures to love, that you would root us more deeply in your love to fill us with that love so that we don't move throughout life empty and starving, but we move full and ready to love as we have been loved. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.